because it's always nice to pick up where we left off last week. Um, and sometimes, you know, we don't ha- are all together, so it's good to keep up with each other. Uh, we did talk about, in the context of, you know, our righteous living, the daikasune, you know, in trying to live out our religious experience. We want to live out, we want to be Christians, because we're Christians, we're salt, we're light. How, what do we do? How do we express ourselves, you know, through you know, our various activities that that draw us to God and, and, and help us give us opportunity to be good Daikusune. Uh, and one of the ways we could do it is through charity, through helping people out and giving and whatnot. And he said, you know, so when you do this, and of course I think Jesus is assuming that we're going to do it at some point, you know, because it's right and it's good to give and to charity, to be helpful, to be generous. But when you do it, don't announce it with trumpets. As the hypocrites, and so there's the contrast: the hypocrites, the fakes, the the, the, the actors um, who who do it in the synagogues and on the streets, because they do it to be honored by others, and so they play to the audience of others. And again, this is in a way of review of what we learned last week. So we're in a continuous theme. The second illustration he gave us is in way of devotion, prayer, maybe study time, whatever. But here he specifically says prayer. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites again. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and uh, on the street corners to be seen by others. Okay, so and now we're on the, the, the third one, which is uh, fasting. But before we get there, this is, well, I have had this up three weeks in a row now. Just a reminder that what we're learning here through the Christ in his sermon is he's not making a new set of laws that we live religiously and structure ourselves by. Because you can imagine a situation in which maybe you're of the outreach team. In this outreach team, you want to go out and witness to people on the streets. And so you, you might want to find yourself maybe in, in, on the streets. Maybe let's go hide out in the corner and let's just pray. Let's bow down and pray. And, and somebody might say, but no, but Jesus says don't pray in the street corner. So we can't pray. Let's just go do it. Well, it's ridiculous. Of course you should stop and pray. And so these are not laws. These are heart principle practices that we're learning here. So it takes flexibility. It takes imagination. It takes heart to know when's the right time to pray. Are we doing it to be seen? Now, if you're going to pray out in the middle of the streets and shout out in old Elizabethan English, Thou heavenly Father and all, and make a spectacle of yourself, then you are probably got it wrong. But if there's a genuine time of prayer where you're just, you know what? I know a lot of, in America, you know, people love to pray in restaurants. And I always forget that when I go back and visit people because we go in restaurants and we'll get, oh, bring the food over. And we start to, you know, and I might say thank you to God in my mind, but sometimes I might forget. But, you know, but then they go, oh, let's, let's all stop and pray. And I'm like, and that's all right. Nothing wrong with that as long as you're not doing it to be seen by others. You know, I think a lot of us are a little bit timid because we don't want to be seen by others. You know, we want to make sure that our religious devotion is genuine and not a show. We don't want to be hypocrites. We want to be actors. We want to, and so with this, we're looking, we're looking at the heart and the mind. So this actually should apply to every aspect of our lives, not just with devotion, not just with our giving and not with just fasting. This should be our whole life, that we do what we do because we have the heart of God. And we want to be genuine as we please God. And of course, that will manifest itself in various behaviors. Um, 
So these are not laws, they're illustrations. This is the kind of thing you'd expect a person to do if, you know, who's falling after God, basically. And so, I, of course, I'll say it maybe the last time. If you were to want to make a law of something, do what Jesus said. Because Jesus says, you know, the first and the greatest of the laws is, number one, that you love God with all your heart and your mind and soul. And number two, that you love others as yourself. And so that's why I like 1 Corinthians 14.1. Follow the way of love. If you're doing that, you're going to be all right. Cool? Now we're going to get to the third illustration of what we're dealing with at this portion of Christ's sermon, and that's fasting. And I'm actually going to just deal with these verses, 16 to um, 18. And the reason being is because I think fasting is a misunderstood, underappreciated, underpracticed discipline. And I think the reason why it's not practiced and because it's not understood. And so maybe if we have some understanding of what fasting is, then maybe it'd be something that we could maybe um, put into normal practice in our own personal lives. Again, I might be wrong because, of course, we're not doing fasting to be seen by other people. So maybe we're all fasting in here, but nobody knows about it <laughs> because it's all done in secret. And if that's the case, then that's cool. But maybe not. Maybe, maybe there's some, and I have an impression, not just from us, but just from pop culture and other churches that I've been to and, and books I've read, that, that fasting is one of those things that I think are uh, not very much understood and practiced in, in our days today. So I want to spend just this morning dealing with what is fasting. So let's read the, the, the verses first, um, as Jesus said it in the sermon, starting in verse 16, it says, When you fast, do not look somber. As the hypocrites. Again, don't act it. Don't look somber or downcast or, or thrashed or, or undernourished and pathetic like the hypocrites who are putting it on do because they disfigure their faces to show men, other people, that they're fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. And here, if you notice, I put reward, I put next to it the word wages. Because that's what it means by reward. It's like, it's what's due you. And so they perform to be performed. And so they're looking for the wages, the payoff. The, their, their salary is appreciation, you know, given to them by people for their great acts of fasting. Okay? That's the reward. And, and it's contrast with the reward that we get from our Father, which is time with Him. Learning with Him. Trusting close to Him. Developing character. That's our reward. That's our pay. That's our wages. That's what we want. It's not enough just to get appreciation, a pat on the back. We want character. We want heart. That comes from spending time with God. But again, it says, But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. Again, down here, I put in the quotes, if you look down there, Take a shower. Fix yourself up. Brush your teeth. Put on some lotion, some cologne, and some nice clothing. Don't act it like the hypocrites are. Clean yourself up and just go do it. <laughs> um, but only, um, but don't do it to be seen by others, but only to your Father who is unseen. Uh, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And the reward, of course, isn't a cash payment, as we say. It isn't a big pearly necklace in heaven. It's character. It's a changed heart. It's a changed mind. It's a changed person. What, what is more interesting to you? What's, what's more valuable to you? To get a pat on the back? People forget anyways. Don't forget, you do something really well. The following week, you're going to make them upset anyways, and you're going to, they're going to fall out with you. So what's better, a pat on the back from somebody 
or a changed heart and a changed mind, changed character from spending time with God? What really is more valuable? It's, that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, listen, guys, God wants to bless you, and I want to bless you. And this is how we do it. Next slide, please. So in fasting, what is it? Um, we've already seen Jesus do some fasting. Remember in, in, in Matthew chapter 4, we talked about how Jesus was called through obedience to go fast in the wilderness. It's funny how fasting, a lot of times we see it, it happens in the wilderness. It's usually out, you know, where there's, you know, in kind of a desolate place. Uh, and the illustration he's actually is going to draw from here is actually when the Israelites were in a wilderness as well. And they were in a long 40-year fast, if you will. Think about the Israelites being in the wilderness without any shops, without any schools, without any comfort spas and, you know, uh, television and radio and fun stuff. They were wandering in the wilderness. That's a long fast. Thank God God's never called us to do any kind of 40-year fast like that. I don't know how many of us would survive that. But that's what Jesus draws upon when he, when he was tempted by Satan. Because he said in, in verse 4, when he was fasting in the wilderness, when Satan tempted him, he said, why don't you turn these stones to bread? After all, you're God. You can turn stones to bread. You're the master of the molecules. You can deconstruct and reconstruct molecules to make stones into bread. After all, God created the heavens and the earth. You're the son of God. Make bread. And what did he say? But it's not about the bread. Man should not live by bread alone. But on the every word. Now, get that word in your head. Word. That's a powerful word. Word. Every word. But not just any words. Words that come from the mouth of God. Okay. That's his answer. What does that mean? That's powerful. I'm going to show you in a second how powerful it is. But first, let's see where he got that from. He got that from Deuteronomy 8.3. Let's look at it in context, Deuteronomy 8. And here I put a little heading here in the bold in the middle. Fasting, basically, when you look at this, is discipline of remembering the Lord. Remembering that the Lord is the Lord, and He's powerful, and He's strong, and He's wonderful, and He loves you, right? So, so it's about remembering, and also doing His will. In doing His will, it's all right. He's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of us. He will provide. But, you know, it's, so it's okay to remember Him. It's okay to follow His will. And, and this is what fasting is all about. So it says in Deuteronomy 8, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness. This is him, of course, talking to the people of Israel as they were in the wilderness for 40 years. To humble and test you. So fasting, maybe it's something to humble us and to test us. That we don't always get things done the way we want. We don't plan things the way we think they should go. But relying on God for that sustenance, that nourishment. In order to know what is in your heart. And isn't it all about the heart? Isn't that what we're talking about? It's all about the heart. Character. Whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. Now manna is bizarre. I love manna. Because manna, in the actual Hebrew, I put down here on the bottom, it literally means whatever it is, or what is it. Because it's, manna wasn't constructed by um, other compounds worldly compounds like wheat or grains from the ground or, or milk or water or yeast. It wasn't constructed from other compounds, which everything else is. This is a unique, unique material at full stop in that it literally came spiritually from heaven. It was God literally constructing this bread out of nothing, which is physically impossible, but not with God, because God's the master of the molecule. 
<laughs> he can do it. And that's what manna literally is. It's this mysterious, what is this stuff kind of bread? Now, think about fasting here. You know, where, where, where is the, where, if God's the master molecule and he nourishes things and he makes this, 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 this energy out of this matter, what can he do for us as we trust in him? Even when it comes to like maybe even your whole life. Maybe God's asking you to fast for several years by going into the missions, into some desolate place to minister to people. But God, will you take care of me? Well, God, how is this going to be done? Come on, God, let's get real. Let's get practical. Well, God's very real. God's very practical. He might even give you manna from the sky if he wants. Which neither you or your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Bottom line is the word. The word again that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's the important thing. God says you do. It's about his will. And remember, he's the he's Lord. Look at this amazing thing. Their clothes didn't wear out. Think about that. For 40 years, they didn't go shopping for clothes. I know I talk about my wife, about the kids and us and our clothes get tattered after we walk. And we have to go buy clothes all the time. They didn't go to the shops and buy clothes. Why? Because God is a match of the molecule. He kept it together. Amazing. We don't think about these things. But God's reminding us here through his very word. They didn't wear out. And the feet didn't swell. Another way you can translate that in the Hebrew is their shoes didn't wear out. Their shoes, they're walking around the wilderness. My shoes don't, I get them from Primark, bear in mind. They, don't, they only last about three weeks. But they wear out. 40 years. I've never owned a pair of shoes that lasted me that long. God send me some shoes like that. But you get the idea. Who's, what's he doing here? He's providing. Mysteriously, miraculously. He's a master of the molecule. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. So it's about discipline. It's about training. Discipline doesn't mean spanking. It means training. Okay? He's training us. He's training them. He does do that. That's what we call, we're interested as Christians about spiritual disciplines. And fasting is one of them. We want to learn to get close to God. And that's what it's all about. So again, we're talking about God's word. Right? The word and the power of the word that comes from his mouth. Let's look at the kind of things God's word does. The words that come from his mouth. What happens when God speaks? Well, according to Psalm 33, 6, But by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. So what we're talking about, again, is God who creates. He's a master, again, of the molecule. He creates out of nothing, something, through his very words. That's another word for word is like his will, his imagination, his thoughts. He wills it. He speaks it. It happens. Like it says in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let there be light. And there was. Then God said, let there be space between the waters. Separate the waters from the heavens, from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. Then God said, let the water beneath the sky flow together one place. The dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Well, these lights in the sky shine down on the earth, and that is what happened. Then God said, that's what happened. God said, it happened. God said, you get the point? I don't have to finish this, because you understand what's going on here. God says, and it happens. God wants it. He makes it happen. He makes us in his image. So, down here I put, and you can really see it, because I was having start, I want to get this picture, but I had problems with the text, getting it all fit. But if you can read it, that's good. If not, I'll read it to you. We trust that God created us. That's what we do as Christians, right? That's a basic Christian belief, right? That God created us. And He created the heavens and the earth, right? So we believe He created us from His very Word. 
of his mouth, but do we trust him to sustain us? You know what I'm saying? To care for us, provide for us by his very word of his mouth. Is God out of business? There's a word for that. Deism. Christians aren't deists. Deist means God did this, but he doesn't do that. He starts the process, but he doesn't stick around. That's a deist. We're not deists. We're theists, which means God starts it and he remains. He's there. He's active. He's participant in our lives and in our world. Okay? And then Jesus is a lot like God because he's the son of God. And this is what Jesus did. Okay? This is what he did. Again, mash the molecule. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We, hear, uh, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the or disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were about 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. And this is from Matthew 14. Okay, so wait, how does this have anything to do with fasting, Scott? We're talking about not eating, not eating. They're eating here. The point is this, look what God was able to do. He nourished people with a very few, you know, food substances by multiplying. If he's able to multiply food substance, what else can he do? And just a reminder, Casey, if you forgot this illustration, because people forgot, like in his times, the next one, he also did this. Another time, there were many people with Jesus. The people had nothing to eat, so he called his followers and said to them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been with me for three days, and now they have nothing to eat. I should not send them away hungry. If they leave without eating, they will faint on the way home. God knows, and he cares for your fainting, and he will take care of you. Some of them live a long way from here. Jesus' followers answered, okay, now this is classic doy. This is what his followers said. But we are far away from towns. There's no shops here. Forgetting about the wilderness of Israel. Forgetting about maybe about a year, if not so ago, when he fed 5,000. But we're going to get food, Jesus. We don't have enough food here to feed all the people. Okay, then Jesus asked them, how many loaves of bread do you have? It's almost like, did we just not go through this lesson about how many weeks ago? Then we have to learn this again. So, so they answered, well, we have seven loaves of bread. So Jesus took the people, sat down on the ground, and then he took the seven loaves and gave thanks to God. He broke the bread into pieces and gave them to his followers. And he told them to give the bread to the people as he did and said, the followers also had a few small fishes. Jesus gave thanks for the fish and told them to give the fish to the people. So very similar, almost identical. In fact, it's so close that a lot of people don't even realize that there's two instances. A lot of people thought there was just the one time he fed the multitude. No, he fed 5,000, and then this time he fed 4,000. They all ate until they were full. And the followers filled seven baskets and the people of food uh, that were left. And that's Mark 8. So that was after. Go back again, Gary. Because that one was Matthew 14. That one here is, is Mark 8. So uh, chronologically, on you go. It's, it's, it was after. And then, so again, did I forget to mention? Jesus is the master molecule. Okay? Next one. Okay, again, we're talking about food there and him taking care of people. And sometimes it's important to eat bread and fish. But let's look at the principle. The principle is this, God can do some pretty amazing things. But sometimes we forget about it. And that's why we do things like fasting and, com and communing, is we want to remember 
that God does amazing things. And guess what? He's pretty interested in doing amazing things in our life. He's, he's cool with that. He's not going to pass us by. He's not going to forget us. You know, if we're willing to take a risk on God, I think God will be more than happy to lead us and to guide us and to do some amazing things. And this is where fasting comes in. It's saying enough of me and more of you. I'm willing to take a risk in you, God, and see how this works out. So the nourishment, this nourishment, this, 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 you know, this, this, the sustaining, it comes from the word of God. And Jesus later on, he, he, or at a different place, he teaches his disciples, okay, about, he's actually teaching about priorities. When's a good time to fast? When, when there's an important job at hand. It sounds, sounds backwards. If you're going to have an important job, don't you want to get ready and eat and full belly and ready to go? Well, according to Jesus, sometimes you got to stop and not take a lunch break if the, if the work's ready to go. And it's an important work. And that's what we learn here. So Jesus then said to his disciples, or, well, I'm sorry. This is just to back it up. Jesus was um, the woman, um, the Samaritan woman. He's, he, he sees her at a well, and he's talking to her about God, and basically sharing the gospel with her, telling her, you've seen the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you're waiting for, the one that's going to save the people, you know, and restore worship, basically. And so she's so fired up, she's so excited, she's going to leave him and go bring the town back. So there's in your mind, you think what's going on. Jesus is ministering to this woman. He's doing the work of his, the Father. She's going out to bring him an audience, and his disciples show up and say, hey, it's lunchtime. What do you think Jesus is going to say? Well, sorry, multitude of people. I'm going to go take my lunch break. I'll see you tomorrow. And maybe lose him altogether. No, he's going to say, I'm not going to break to fill my belly. I'm not going to think of myself. I'm going to think of the will of, of God. And that's what we read here. So it says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, let's go get lunch. Okay, so they're coming back. There's the work. You see the work? Do you guys see the work? I see the work. Here's the people. They're coming. And the disciples, the guys who should know Jesus really well, the ones who hang out with him all the time. But come on, Jesus, we got a rumbling in the tummy. But what does Jesus say? It's just right there. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Again, remember what we learned here, what he's able to do. Um, then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Again, his disciples, love him, love him. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me. You see, I'm not going to stop and eat until my job is done. This is important. This is eternal. This is eternal. This is significant. It's important. Souls are at stake here. My food, my nourishment, my sustenance is doing what God wants me to do. And I know what God wants me to do, and I'm going to do it. So you guys want to go get your lunch? On you go. I'm going to be here to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. So he's talking about priorities. Yeah, and this goes with food. It goes with everything else. That's why sometimes in our lives we have to make risks and radical changes to our lives. Because what is important? The fields. They're ripe for harvest. Look, 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 look. 
I, I think the fact that they want to have lunch is just a menial issue. But there's a lot of other things that gets us away from the fields. There's a lot of things that detour us and distract us from the fields that are ripe for the harvest. And fasting teaches us how to submit to God's will. To say no to our desires, our appetites, our insecurities, our fears, and teach us to trust in the God who is the master of the molecule. So, again, it is Christ, the Word Himself, that sustains us. He said, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna, that crazy substance that took care of people for 40 years in the wilderness, yet they died. And the time will come, you know, where we will be sitting and eating and living and taking care of ourselves. And we will all be like them and have our time where we must die to be with the Lord. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. There is a bread that you, we can eat, that we can partake of, that keeps us eternal. And that's the spirit of living God. That's Jesus in the name of Jesus and the work of God. You see, so priorities. We eat, we live, we die. But there's also things that we do in that time that has eternal value. Let's get our priorities straight and make sure that we're investing enough in the things that are eternal and not be entirely distracted by things that are temporal. I think that's what I'm seeing here. And that's, again, what fasting teaches us, is when we actually do it and we discipline our bodies to do it, it puts us to shame and helps us to trust more in God and less in ourselves. I am the living bread, Jesus said, that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. His flesh, and that's what communion's all about, right? His flesh that he gave to us, the world. Which, of course, what's the, the problem? Why is the whole world not participating in communion with us? Why is, why is this place not filled? Why is, why, why is there a building? There should be a building that's, that's not, that, are, that, 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 that there's, no matter how big it is, it's still not big enough to carry all the people in shots. Because look, this is great. We live, we die. That's normal life. But there's an eternal nourishment. There's an eternal substance, an eternal substance, which is Christ in his very own flesh and blood that, that gives us eternal life. But why are so many people distracted? Why do we get distracted? Why, why is this place not full of souls? Because people don't know it. They don't realize it. And fasting teaches us it. it gives, it's a strong lesson on that. And also, I believe God does things. Because when we're fasting, a lot of times what we do is we pray during fasting. And a lot of times we don't pray a lot because we're busy running around, going to work, going to the shops, eating lunch, eating dinner. Doing things, playing, having fun, whatever it is we do, we, there's a reason why we don't pray enough. It's because we're preoccupied with temporal things. Fasting says, I'm going to say no to these temporal things for just a while, just a while, and focus on this, eternal things, the blood and the flesh of Christ that gives us eternal life. And I'll trust in Him to satisfy my sore, achy, grumbly belly. So think about it. God might ask you not to eat, so that you may serve him at that moment. Like, he, like, like there with, with the woman who came, right? And she said, here, I'm going to go get my buddies. Can you stay and minister to him?" He may ask you something similar to that. 
Do you think he can also give you the strength to perform? you think he'll leave you high and dry? you think he'll leave you dead on the roadside? No, he won't do that. He loves you. He cares for you, and he will. And he's able. That's the thing. This is basic theology. God's able to. Again, we're not deistic. We're theistic. We believe God's able. He's there, and he participates with our lives. He's able to. He will perform mighty miracles of strength to keep you going. Even if it's days, it's possible. He is God. But it's in here. we got to get in here. That's the thing. If we start living, and that's why fasting is cool. It's because it teaches us to live every day trusting in his, his powerful, mighty, miraculous, provisional hands. I think that's the last one, actually, Gary. Nope. One more. Yeah. Let's get that in. So, again, remember, that we're, that's what we're going to put in context of what the sermon's all about. This is important. We talked about fasting. Now, what is Jesus saying about fasting is this. Remember what Jesus is talking about in the sermon? What are your motivations? That's what we're looking for. Are you doing it to, to build character, to be close to God? Or are you doing it because it's expected to be done by other people or people are watching you? Right? That's the context of Sermon on the Mount. And we have to put in context because that's good biblical exegesis. So as you live your lives for him, there's, there's two options. There's one, of course, a genuine option, seeking God, the audience of one. For his will and provision for your life. And I put Ephesians 6, 6 here, which is beautiful. Not with eye service. I like that. It's a word Paul used a couple times. Eye service. You know, like doing it for the audience. As men pleasers. But as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Isn't that what we're talking about here? Almost like a broken record. It's about the heart. It's about the character of the person that God's interested in. That Christ is interested in. Or they have the hypocrites. Are you doing what others think you should be doing? That's expected of me. People are watching. i got to be cool. Remember, then, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. So we're talking about character, talking about heart, and we're talking about fasting. So I spent this time developing the idea of fasting. And I hope it's a benefit to you. I hope it's a blessing to you. I hope it's something that we can start to see more practice in our lives. Again, don't have to advertise it because that goes against everything Jesus is saying here. But just think about it. Ponder it. Consider it. And do it. Now, if you want to do it with the church the group, sometimes Danny and I will say on Thursday we'll go fasting first thing. So if you have something that's bothering or concerning you or there's a great trial or deal, tell us. And we may say, hey, we'll fast for you on Thursday. You know, And if we do that, we're not bragging it to get your approval, to get a pat on our shoulder. We're doing it to let you know that we will be doing it. You can trust in it. And you should probably join along with us. Because we're interested in, again, the audience of one. We do it because we're not going to cheat you out either. Because, again, we're not doing it for your credit and for your pat on the back. We're doing it because we want to get close to God for your sake or for the situation's sake. You see what I'm saying? So you can trust that if you say to, to me, for instance, or Danny, that can you please fast for the situation or pray for it, that we will do it. And, and we won't just say it. You know what I'm saying? Because that's the difference between the hypocrites. They just say it, but they may not do it. But let's do it. Let's, let's, let's live like that. Let's be people who are ready to pray of devotion, who are ready to fast, to stop, to minister, who are ready to, to give. You know, these are things he's talking about, these illustrations. Giving, loving, caring, Praying, stopping, fasting. Does that make sense? Being accessible to things that are greater than just the temporal things that so distract us. And I hate to say it, but temporal things, for the most part, are just a distraction. It's eternal things that matter, right? Because that's the stuff that lasts. 